Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is a continuation of last Sunday's text with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, with the, the Beatitudes, something that the church is uh, deeply familiar with and often repeats. Uh, but then today's text is also equally interesting to the church and the world at large because of how it has developed in some sense among common people. You have probably heard of the golden rule before and maybe even been under its command by parents or teachers. It's what we call an oldie but a goodie. Uh, Treat others as you would like to be treated. And we can hear Jesus saying something of similar sorts from the gospel text, probably where it comes from. As you wish that others would uh, do to you, do so to them. As a way of uh, sort of illustration, uh, I'm reminded of another saying from Jafar in the movie Aladdin. You've heard of the golden rule, haven't you? The one that has the gold makes the rules. Jafar's twisted revision of the golden rule leads many of us to decry our enemies even if we're characteristically optimistic about human nature, which I would caution you against that, uh, we can't stand this kind of evil. One who has the power, one who has authority, and uses it instead of serving, but rather to serve themselves. Uh, If we have been hurt, or know of someone that has been hurt, which is probably every one of us, it's possible that uh, the, the text today can leave us a little bit, um, uh, maybe it falls short for us. Maybe Jesus' words fall short for us. In one instance, we have Jesus who tells us that we should uh, do unto others as uh, you would want them to do unto you. And then he also says that to the one who strikes your cheek, let them strike the other. Or to the one who takes your tunic, Give up also your cloak. So you can imagine that a judge in one of our courts who's ruling uh, is to uh, maybe someone who's gotten hurt or abused in some way that we would say maybe they should offer their other cheek or someone who has been mugged and stripped down that they should offer the remainder of their clothes to their assailant. We would struggle with that, wouldn't we? We, would call, we wouldn't call that justice. And we would then maybe uh, wrongfully uh, mix that up into who Jesus is. And if Jesus is like that kind of Jafar, how is he any different than uh, someone who is not God? Or maybe, maybe to put it differently, a little bit more clearly, is that Jesus is not like the Jafars of the world. And that is how this text is often misunderstood. misunderstood that... Uh, one who makes up the rules is self-serving for himself. But that's not the real Jesus. That is a misinterpretation of this often mis- uh, misinterpreted text. The other side of it is that others, when they hear this text, inevitably make Jesus into a good teacher with good morals and a good gospel that makes good people. And being good is a good thing. I'm not saying that you should be bad, okay? So hear that. But um, so maybe uh, they, they assume that maybe what Jesus is saying is that we ought to fight bad with our goodness. 
that our job or purpose as Christians isn't to be judgy, but to be good people. And that becomes the end in and of itself. We're just good people, and we have our checklist of our morals, and that's what we do. After all, doesn't Jesus say, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. But I'm telling you that this also is not the real Jesus. Many take these things, like the golden rule, or the judge not sentence of Jesus, and they frame Jesus in a way that they want to interpret him. And we do this from our own sinful human nature. Remember when I told you to be cautious about sinful nature? And uh, putting, we try to put the best construction on all things. But at the end of the day, God cautions us against ourselves and our neighbor and our inevitableness toward sinning. And so this particular passage of scripture has been widely misinterpreted and enveloped into something of our of our own identity and our own way of kind of weaseling our way out of saying what is actually loving or judging things that are actually sinful and wrong. Both an unjust God of phenomenal cosmic power and a moralistic God of do-goodery, God is not. These things ultimately fall flat. God is not a loveless, unjust, all-powerful God with goodness as the centrality of his gospel. So then the question has to be, who is the real Jesus? The real Jesus, our God, is one of power and purpose, but he's not to be mistaken or to have his words twisted here. Jesus is far from lawless or a blind benevolence. He fulfills the law perfectly, showing us what love we fail to keep as sinners ourselves. And Jesus is able and has promised to judge by how the world regards his death and resurrection. So there are sinners who will reject Jesus' death and resurrection and be condemned by it. And there will be sinners who trust in Jesus and will be judged by that unto salvation. And we, the church, are to love like this, to speak like this, as Jesus does, and to judge like him, not from our own preference, but from the word of God. That means our love is held to a different standard, not our own standard, but held to a godly standard. The standard of God is perfection. So you can imagine that there's a lot of forgiveness on our part, right? Forgiveness asking on our end. It's why we open every church service with confession and absolution. We gather as God's people, as sinners, and he comes and rescues us from our sinfulness confessing our sins before God and one another, that we have not loved as he has loved and not judged as he desires to judge. This also means that, uh, that then that judgment is held to a higher standard too. We cannot judge on our, on our preference, but only by what is right according to God's standard. We cannot love what we love, but we must love what God loves. So our will and word must conform to his word and will. As his will and word is the highest form of love, and ours is often blind, filled with sin, our vision blurred, by all things according to God are true, are righteous, and actually good, and good for us. So we are Christians, and we gain our name, not from ourselves, 
but from Christ. And so we act accordingly. We act in the way of Jesus. That's why we were first called Christians. Because we walked in the way of Christ. The way of truth and life. So we are called to endure. And what that means is that we endure all hatred and curses and abuses. And we do so as our namesake is, as Christians, offering ourselves beyond the golden rule, doing unto others even as people revile us and sin against us, doing unto them what we wish others would do to us. So we do not seek our own vengeance for evil or repay wickedness by passing our own judgment. God is able to deal with evil and wickedness with his own justice and judgment in this life in eternity. So we can only say what Jesus has given us to say. And that becomes then our witness, not to ourselves, but to Christ and to his death and his resurrection. It actually gets us off the hook for trying to think up something creative or to weasel our way around things. We can only and always anchor ourselves to Christ's death and resurrection and to speak from what we know and what we know that Jesus has done for us. Our witness to the world and the way we confess Christ by our living is to warn the evildoer and sinner alike, which includes us, of God's justice and judgment. We do so out of love for them and for ourselves. And we are under God's justice and judgment if we do not love the other, if we do not love the neighbor, if we do not give them what is most necessary by the way of the gospel. And the way of the gospel is Christ's death and his resurrection. It is the way of forgiveness, the way of life, the way of salvation. It is living a life from grace to endure the ungraceful. That means to endure all harm, all slander, and all shame. And so it is that our witness under Christ is that our witness is as forgiven sinners who then also are forgiving toward other sinners. True love then finds its ultimate expression in that we would so love our neighbor who is living in sin and go to them properly distinguishing law and gospel and from the word of God bring about their repentance and faith. Not from ourselves, but from God himself. Knowing this loving act is actually God's word at work. If anything, if anything, I would desire that you understand our text today instead of misunderstanding it. To understand it as a description of Christ Jesus' real love for you. Since when we hear this gospel, our hearts should also sink, knowing that we do not always act as the church our Lord has called us to be. We do not love our enemies or want to do good to those who hate us, neither bless those who curse us, and we know that our prayers falter for the ones who have hurt us the most. So what do we do? God calls us daily into repentance under his will and under his word, trusting in his forgiveness and desiring the same for our neighbor, even the one who has hurt us the most. Jesus is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, as our text says. Why? Because he loves them, as he loves you. And he died for them, as he died for you. Jesus shed his blood for, the world of, for a world of transgressors. 
And our transgressions are the very thing. Our sins are the very thing that sent him to the cross. Jesus bore in himself the wrath of God, taking our sins to himself and being for us the substitute that we might, that we might know him by grace. That is to know the real Jesus. The real Jesus so loved the world, so loved all of you, that in all humility permitted Judas to turn him over, allowed an officer of the high priest to strike him, for Pontius Pilate to strike him again, and with his order to whip him tortuously. The real Jesus could have stopped the stations to the cross, but he permitted the the abuse of slander and the curse of the crucifixion. In all humility, Jesus permitted the soldiers to strike his cheek and the other, and he permitted they take his cloak and to not withhold his tunic. He was crucified, naked, and in shame. To all this he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the real Jesus. And as for the real Christ goes then also for the real church. The real church is one of forgiveness. That is the kind of love and judgment that we are to offer. Mercy to the unmerciful. Love to the loveless. We are to forgive as he has forgiven us, having removed the judgment and condemnation that we deserved. As it is for Jesus, the real Jesus, it is for the real church to love. We are to love our enemies, since he has loved us even as we were first enemies to God by way of our sins. We are to do good not only to those who do good to us, but to seek to be righteous even among those who are still lost in their sins and desire all kinds of unrighteousness. We are to do good, not because we merit God's favor from it, but because that is the witness of faith. What God has done in us, we do unto our neighbor. Our neighbor, too, needs Jesus. And it is for our benefit that we love them, since if Jesus wants all people to enter into eternal life, then that ought to be our desire, too. This speaks to what it means to be holy. Finally, what it means to be holy is that Christ makes possible for us what once was not. He gives us righteousness, despite our unrighteousness. He calls us a holy people, despite our sins. The gospel today unveils the new life of sanctification, that we are a holy people, a Christian church, set apart to be faithful to the word and will of God. We are measured not by the good we do from ourselves, but, but the good we do from faith. And faith is not our doing. It is God at work in us. So we have done nothing to earn this. So we can only be in a position of thankfulness before God and in service to our neighbor. We are to live through the power of the Holy Spirit, accounting all love and judgment as from God himself. So then we truly love, so when we truly love, rather, it is as though God himself has loved the neighbor. And when we have truly judged, it is as if God has truly judged the neighbor and our own hearts. Our love, our judgment of others, it falters. But the love of Christ and the judgment of Christ, it cannot fail and it does not lie. 
So when we consider all the divisions in the world, there is no higher calling than for the church to love as Christ has commanded, to love God and neighbor. Real love seeks what is true, holy, and righteous. Real love is for what is good, faithful, and against what is evil, wicked, and unfaithful. The real Jesus and the real church is in a world that is desperately in need of hearing the truth. This world is desperate for a real Jesus, the real Jesus, and the real church to know love as you know love. And since you have grace, since you have righteousness, and since you have forgiveness of sins through Christ, you know real love. May you then go and love others with the love that you have, that they would know the love of Christ and desire also to gather as you do around the word of God and his, and his eternal gifts in this life and forever. Amen.